written thousands of years ago. Every page, every story, inspired from God. Do they apply to me? Is the Old Testament obsolete? With Pastor Jim Scudder, Jr. All right. I know this part is the part that you all have been waiting for. What is under the black curtain? Right? Right. What has gone obsolete? And our challenge has been, bring us something that you know what it is, but your kids or grandkids have no clue. And so far, I don't think they've guessed any of these things that we all know, or at least our parents probably know. Okay, so are there any children that would like to help me? I, I'm going to have you come up. Come on up. While her hand shot up. Okay, are you ready for this? Okay. You want to do a countdown from three? And help me lift this off. Three, two, one. A microphone. No, that's not it. Okay, so pick that up. What do you think that is? I have no idea. Okay. Does anyone know what this is? Hold it up for everyone to see. Some of you do, and it's not a fly swatter. You have to be really, really good at hitting that fly. Okay, so someone said it. It is a rug beater. That's a rug beater. Now, how many of you have actually used one of these? Not on your husband. Okay, so we're going to demonstrate... And I want you to give it a really good whack. I tell you what, you stand over here. I'm going to stand over, hold on, here. And I want you to give that thing a really good, (sighs) just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so what they would do (laughs) is they would, uh, you know, beat that. No, no, we're not doing it again. (laughs) I know you're winding up. You must have played baseball or something. Uh, And they would would clean their rugs this way, right? Before, no, you're... You're scaring me, girl. Okay. That was awesome. You can put that back there, and you're not ever going to use that on your brother, right? Okay. Thank you for helping us out. Let's give her a huge hand. Wow. I don't know if I've been so scared up here before. She's just winding up and ready to go, and I actually did that this week with um, one of our staff members. I brought it in to the uh, video department, and I said, you guys know what this is? No. So I said, here, hold this. And I had to hold the rug, and I whacked it so hard. And he about, well, he did fall over. He did fall over. Well, there are certain things in this world that go obsolete. Actually, quite a few things, right? And and a lot of it's technology. It just goes so quickly, um, either out of vogue, out of style, or just out of use because it's not as useful as the newest, latest, and usually cheaper thing. And we have something that here in our church we find very, very precious, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, this is an ancient book, truly. Uh, the, the last uh, part of this was penned over 2,000 years ago. Parts of this book are way older than that, you know, 3,000, 4,000 years old. And so, how could this book be relevant to me today? How can this book actually give me an answer in our modern, complicated, technological world? I'll tell you one thing. First of all, all of man's 
problems are almost always the same century after century. Okay? All of our problems are almost always the same. But this is not a book that is dead. The Bible actually says that this is alive. That these are words of God. And if God's alive, his word is alive. And his word can affect your life. Now we do divide up our Bibles in, uh, in churches, in our Christian life, into two divisions. We have the, uh, the first two-thirds of the Bible, which is Genesis to Malachi. And that, that's a, a really, really big chunk of the Bible. And we call that the Old Testament. It's probably better to call it the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, and then we have the, the, the second third um, of the Bible, and that's what we call the New Testament. And people wonder, if we call it the Old Testament, does that mean that we don't really need this part? Is it irrelevant? Is it old in the sense that it's not really needed or useful anymore? And there have actually been some preachers that have been minimizing the Old Testament. I'll, I'll tell you this. We need the entire Word of God. Okay, It's one story. It's one story. Uh, the, the New Testament is the story of the Messiah has arrived and is coming back. The Old Testament is the story of why we need the Messiah and the predictions and types of the Messiah. Okay, But the Messiah is here. The Old Testament is old but not irrelevant. Uh, it's, still, it's still relevant. Isaiah 40 verse 8, it says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but say this with me, the word of our God shall stand forever. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Amen. Amen. Now, my title today is The World's Oldest Man and the Wicked World Around Him. Do you know anyone that's 100 years old? Do you know anyone right now and they're alive and, and you know them? They're 100 years old. Raise your hand and hold it up if you know someone right now that's 100 years old or older. Okay, there's very few hands. There's very few hands because it is very unusual to get up to 100 years old. Now, in Luke, the Bible, the physician, Dr. Luke, gives the genealogy of Jesus, and he's going back to Adam. The Bible actually is very careful in being accurate scientifically. The genealogy is listed for Christ all the way back to Adam. I don't know about you. Do any of you know your genealogy past maybe a few generations? Very few of us really do. But the Bible, it's so important that we have the genealogy of Christ and Luke contains that. But in Luke 3.36... He's, uh, the Bible is mentioning the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah. Now the spellings are different, but it's the same person. Methuselah. So first of all, who's Noah? Who's Methuselah? And then in Matthew, Jesus and his Olivet Discourse, as he's about to go to the cross the next day, he's predicting that there's going to be, well, he's going to the cross within a few days, but he's predicting the future. And Jesus says, as the days of Noah were, 
so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. So who's Noah? Who's Methuselah? What were the days of Noah like? To answer these questions, you really need to go back to the Old Testament. And actually, we're going to jump back or dive back into the Old Testament book of beginnings, Genesis. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to talk about who these people are. It says in Genesis 5 verse 4, And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, so remember last time what happened, Cain killed Abel. Uh, the, the tragedy of murder. And the, the, the wickedness and the violence that that perpetrated upon us even today. We're still suffering from violence and murder and shedding of blood. So Adam and Eve had another son after that whose name was Seth. Now Seth is going to be a very important person. He's in the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, it's it's a, a, a line of individuals that came from Adam and Seth that, and Noah that would be what we would call a godly line. They weren't godly because of their lineage or who their parent or grandparent is. And you're not godly because of your parents or grandparents. But you're, if your grandparents and parents were godly, it is very likely you will be. Because you've seen the value of that in their lives. You've seen the, the genuineness and you've seen what it can do. You've seen the blessings of godliness. And so it is likely that you will also be godly. But we're going to focus for a minute on the ages of these people. Okay, so after Adam had Seth, he lived 800 years. He begot sons and daughters. He must have had a lot of kids. In verse 5, all the days of Adam lived were 930 years. Can you imagine 930 years old? You say, I, I would not want to live that old. Well, remember, things have changed today. If you live to be 80 or 90, you're going to be, your body's going to be very frail. You're going to be weak. Somebody said if you cured cancer, stroke, and heart disease, if we came up with the cure, Life expectancy would not change. Those things kill you sooner. But those aren't the things that actually kill you. It's we, are, we our cells aren't able to replicate at, at the rates that they used to be able to. You used to be able to live forever before sin. There was no death. So God created your body. And doctors will tell you this. It's a miracle that when your body um, is, is always fixing itself, regenerating, helping. And that's, you know, why nutrition's important and sleep is important. Your body was designed for that. But something happened at sin that started this the stopwatch. Eventually you're going to die. Now, they lived a lot longer, 930 years. Imagine that. Seth lived, the Bible says, 912. His son lived 905. His son lived 910. And then we come to his son, 895, he didn't live quite as long. His son, Jared, lived 962. His son, Enoch, lived 365. You say, wait, wait, Enoch only lived 365. What did he do wrong? 
No, he actually did something right. The Bible says he walked with God and was not. So we feel like Enoch was taken and therefore hasn't died yet. So he's actually the oldest man. (laughs) Methuselah, though, his son lived 969 years. Happy birthday, Methuselah. 480 years old. How does it feel to be middle-aged? This cute cartoon. (laughs) And uh, can you imagine the candles on that cake? We have weird traditions, don't we? But you all love candles on your cake. But at a certain point, you just put one, right? You just put one. So Methuselah is the grandson of Noah. Okay, the oldest man that we have any record of is Methuselah. And he was the grandfather of Noah. Noah lived 950 years. We're going to talk about in a a few minutes, something really drastic happened after the flood and after the Tower of Babel. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we were born to live Our bodies would perpetually re-energize and repair themselves. And they tell us that you almost have nothing in your body that you had 10 years ago. Almost your whole body is brand new every 10 years. You say, it doesn't feel like that. No, in all seriousness, that is what your body is doing. It's always replicating and, and, and changing out parts and pieces. They say... Because of cell turnover and replacement, most of the organs in the body of a 90-year-old man are about the age of a 10-year-old child. You say, well, then why do we die, right? But again, there's something that doctors still don't understand, what, what we call aging, that you just cannot continue to live forever. We, we can understand it because the Bible tells us something happened. In the Garden of Eden. But they still lived a long, long, long time. And by the way, I don't think you were all shriveled up at 90 or 100. And then you had another 800 years of shriveled up and hunched over. I'm sure it was was a a similar progression of aging. Although you probably did mature quickly. About the same rate that we do. But once you're into that manhood, it probably slowed way down over the entire span of nearly a thousand years. So Methuselah wasn't all decrepit and old at... 100 or 200 or 300 or 400, maybe at four or 500, he was a 40-year-old uh, analogy. Now, who is the oldest person in the world that they can verify the birthday? There's actually a woman. This is her, Maria Morera. She was born in San Francisco on March 4th, 1907. You imagine, she's alive today, as far as I know. And that means that she is 115 and 331 days. She's almost 16 years old. She's living now in Spain, I believe. But that's the oldest verified person on our world today. Why are people not living as long? Well, look at the Bible in Psalm 90 and verse 10. It gives us an age. And this is the this is generally the age that we've been at for a long, long time. Even though we have great advances in health science and medicine, we've increased the, the longevity of, of life, but it still isn't that much more. 
It's, it is, it is longer, but it's, we're not, we probably hit a brick wall. It's not going to get too much more. Okay. Just because of whatever sin has done to us and some other issues have happened. And we'll discuss that in a minute. But Psalm 90 says the days of our years are three score. Now this is an old English term. A score is 20. So that's 60 and 10. So if you've done the math, that's 70 years old, right? The days of our years are 70 years old. And that's, that's typically the lifespan uh, until more recently. Maybe now it's around 80 years old or something. But then it says, and if by reason of strength, like if you're like a, a little above average, you're going to live four score. That's 80 years. Okay. In Bible days and actually not too long, that long ago. And these are still pretty close to what we're doing today. So what happened? How were we living almost a thousand years and how would we have lived forever? And then what happened and what changed? Well, here's a graph that shows you the lifespans of the biblical patriarchs. And you see here the long lifespans of Adam and Seth and Enos and all the way down to Methuselah, the oldest man. The date of the flood is after, just after he had died. Okay. And then we have Again, um, uh, Noah is right here. Noah lived 950 years. So something happened, though. Look at the flood and see how the, the lifespans got shorter and shorter and shorter. And then, again, we have the Tower of Babel. And then we have another decrease in lifespan. So now, once we hit this uh, down here at Peleg, we've, we've gotten closer to, you know, 100 years or so. And then look at this curve. This is actually the curve that is represented. You have the flood. You see that drop off right here? And then this curve down, and this is 70 years right here. So it came, something happened here, and then again right here, that really decreased the age of mankind. What was it? Well, we know that, that conditions were really different before the flood. It seems because of tropical foliage and different things that the earth had a more temperate climate and there were probably different factors of oxygen and uh, maybe a higher atmospheric pressure, different magnetic fields. And if you have all of this, maybe that was part of, uh, there was something blocking the UV rays, okay? There was something that was unique about that time before the flood. When the flood came, things really changed. Now, we also know at the flood there would be a genetic bottleneck, right? Because you have all of humans, and Adam and Eve would have had all the genetic possibilities that you see all the different skin colors and, and hair colors and eye colors and heights and, you know, so many differences in, in us. Uh, that would have been all in Adam and Eve. And then there's this bottleneck because only Noah, his wife, and their sons and their wives made it onto the ark, and so everyone else was killed. So whatever genes that they had had would have been the ones that were passed on. So there's this bottleneck there, and there would be another bottleneck at the Tower of Babel because now you have people groups, all the sons of Noah and grandsons of Noah went, were dispersed all over the world, and now you're kind of stuck in population centers. You're not intermarrying back then. And uh, then you have those genetic things that are happening, which is a, a mutation. Mutation is something that is affecting your DNA, and it's never adding information. That's why evolution is wrong. Evolution says these mutations are beneficial, and you're adding information. Absolutely not. Evolution is actually de-evolution. 
Okay, there is no such thing in, in science. They, they say there is, but they say that just because they don't want to agree with this book. Okay? Now, 2 Timothy tells us that there is someone that defeated death. Everyone died. Died Adam, Seth, Enoch, Enosh, Jared, uh, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. Everyone died. This is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Everyone died. But, but 1 Timothy 1.10, it says, but it's now made manifest, manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath, what? Abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So instead of focusing so much on health care, and I think you should be careful and you should be um, wise and, and those, in those areas, I think that can consume you and you're really not going to get a whole lot more days of your life from all of that. What is important? What's important is believing in Jesus. And then you can escape death. We were at the uh, Egyptian Museum a, a number of years ago. I was reminded of this this week because my brother-in-law, Pastor Neil Darian, and myself are filming a uh, new series about the Exodus. We're going to go to Egypt. I'll be in Saudi Arabia. And we're going to go film at all the different locations that these things happen. Years ago, we had been in the Egyptian Museum. And uh, there's this uh, section where the mummies are at. And have any of you ever seen in person the mummies of, of Egypt? Um, they, they didn't look so great. And now they were really, 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 really old. They were thousands of years old. But even with all of that, the bombing, the mummification process, the science of that, they looked awful. They looked absolutely terrible. Okay. So that night, Julie, my sister's here. She remembers this. We go from that museum and we go to the pyramids of Giza and we're there for the night light show. And there's this big booming voice and it was really pretty and the big, the big voice says, and then the pharaohs found a way to escape death and obtain eternal life. And I'm like, no, they did not look so good. If that's escaping eternal or escaping death, I don't want that. But we can escape death and that's through faith in Jesus, God becoming man, living the life you couldn't live, dying on the cross, rising again. The resurrection is the key. Putting your trust in him, believing in him, and you will have everlasting life. Yeah, this old body, it's going to fail you. It's, gonna, it's got all sorts of problems and flaws and issues. Uh, but there's going to be a new body. Live for that day. Live for that day. Do everything you can to serve our risen Savior because he did abolish death. How long was it from the time of creation to the time of Noah? Well, that's about a thousand years. And if you want to try to understand the um, biblical timelines, the time from creation to Noah's birth is a, a little over a thousand years. Okay? So kind of get that in your head. It's a nice even number. Creation to Noah is about a thousand years. And then the time from creation to the flood was around 1500 years. Okay, it's actually 1656, but 1500 is a little easier to remember. So a thousand years to Noah, to his birth, and then an, uh, another 500 years to the flood. So 1500 years from creation to the flood. 
And these are general numbers, but I'm pretty confident of them based on the genealogies that we find here in Genesis and other parts of the Bible. And then the time from creation to Abraham is around 2,000 years. Okay, So you can kind of get a little bit of an idea in your mind on the timeline of all of these events. From the time of creation to the time of Jesus was around 4,000 years. And the time of creation till now is a little over 6,000 years. You say, boy, the world tells us something really different, right? How long has the earth been around according to evolution? Millions and millions of years. Okay, Well, there's, there's a big disparity there. Why do they say that? Well, they don't want to accept the Bible. They don't want to talk about a flood. But, but, the, but they see all the geology, so they know that something happened. But they, they would rather say that all they have is time. So they just add time. They add time. So geology is why they add all that time. And uh, it doesn't say that in the Bible. The genealogies are pretty clear in the Bible. The earth is not over 10,000 years old. And that's actually about the age of, of humans that they find in archaeology. It's exactly what the Bible says. Okay, so let's look at Genesis 6, verse 1. It came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Okay, so we have now be fruitful and multiply. They're now filling the earth. Uh, this is before the flood. This is from, Abra- or from Adam on uh, through Seth and on and all the other children that Adam and Eve had. The sons of God, verse 2, saw the daughters of men. So there's been a lot of controversy and speculation about this. And I'm going to explain it more later. But who are the sons of God? Who are the daughters of men? I'm just going to tell you very simply what I think about this. This isn't some like uh, weird angels, fallen angels cohabiting with humans. That's, I, I don't see that at all. I think that's, that's crazy. But who are the sons of men? I think this is really simple. The godly descendants of of Seth, okay? The godly line. Some of that godly line decided to go after the daughters of men. Who are the daughters of men? I think this is simply the the, uh, wicked line of Cain, okay? So anytime you have godly people um, taking a wife of ungodly people, you have a problem, right? This is what happened to Israel, and I'll show you a verse there in a second. Go back to Genesis 6-2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Okay? They, they didn't say, oh, they were godly or they made good choices or they, you know, uh, they were fair. They looked pretty. And they took them wives of all that they choose. Okay? Now, this was Israel's downfall. When God brought Israel into the land, look at Psalm 106-34. He told them to not marry the, the people that were pagan because you're never going to bring them up. They're going to bring you down. That's why the Bible says to not be unequally yoked. You need to marry someone that knows God and, and is serving God, okay? Teenagers, young people, go slow on that. Be careful, get advice, Get advice. Psalm 106, 34. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them. God told them what to do. God knew that these nations were wicked and they, they couldn't be left to, to uh, pollute the nation of Israel, but they didn't listen. And it said that they were, in verse 35, mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which was a snare unto them. 
Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. This is so sad. The Canaanites were known to worship Baal and they had a sacrifice to Molech and it was a, uh, an offering of an infant to the gods. And Israel got into that. Can you believe that? Even the blood of their sons and of their daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. They didn't listen to God. That's what happened in the time of Seth and his descendants. And right before Noah. And this is what happened in Israel. And this is what's happening today. And it's sad that our world is falling apart. It was in Colorado a few years ago. They said there was an elk that was shot. It was left on the side of the road and uh, some people pulled over and more and more people started to assemble and they, they created this vigil for this elk. They were holding hands and they were singing Amazing Grace. They were eulogizing an elk. On that same day in the United States, 4,000 innocent babies were murdered in their mother's womb. The Bible actually says something about this. That they changed the truth of God into a lie. They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That's what's happening today. You can look that up in Romans 125. Their marriages were corrupted. The godly married the ungodly. And they had this falling away of their convictions and the way that they were living. They were getting so bad that God had to do something. If God didn't do something, I think what was going to happen in that world, in that wicked world of Noah, was that there was going to be no one left. There was this violent spiral happening. And there would be no one left to bring about the Messiah. That's why God purged the world with the flood. We'll be talking a lot more about the flood, and the the flood is the big answer to geology. Okay, The flood answers all of the geologic questions that we have. Genesis 6, 3, and the Lord said, my spirit does not always strive with man for that he is flesh, yet his day shall be 120. Now you say, well, that means that we should be 120. No, that's how much time they had left. This is the amount of time before God was going to judge the world. Verse 4, there were giants in the earth. This is Nephilim, okay? And that's where some confusion has come in. Um, Were these like physically really huge, tall people? I mean, there was Goliath, right? There were tall people. Um, but I, I honestly don't think these Nephilim were, these giants were uh, necessarily giant in size. I think this is, it's, it's un- understood in the verse here. Let's continue to read. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. Again, I believe that's just simply the godly line started to marry the, the wicked line. And they bare children to them. The same became mighty men. So the Nephilim, the giants in the earth, were mighty men, which were of old men of renown. You know what that, I, mean, I think that means? I think that means that those that lived after the flood, and they were still living pretty long, um, not as long as before the flood, but they were still living pretty long. In other words, Shem, the, the son of Noah, who actually through Shem came Abraham and Jesus, he would have still been alive at the time of Abraham. 
Isn't that interesting? He lived really long and Abraham didn't live as long. So these men that were, these people that were living really, really long because they hadn't had this second genetic bottleneck at Tower of Babel, they were revered. Like, how can they be living so long? I think that's these men of renown. These, these Nephilim, these giants were just giants uh, men because of the lifespan that they were living. I think it's that simple. Genesis 6, 5 says, and God saw, here it is, the wickedness of man was great. How wicked was the earth? Remember Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so will the days of the son of man's return be. Now, I think Jesus was speaking of, uh, in two ways there, Jesus was speaking of the unexpectedness of the return of Christ and that people weren't ready in the time of Noah. They were marrying, they were partying, they, they weren't listening, and then destruction came. So it's the suddenness of the days of Noah of the judgment, but it's also the wickedness of the day, I think is gonna match the wickedness of the day of the return of the Lord. Now, why do I say that? Because it says it right here in, in verse five. It says, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, these are the people that were alive at the time of Noah before the flood, was only evil continually. I think we're there. I think we're there. We are exactly the way. And the problem that we have is the evil is right in our hands. The evil is right in our hands and it's so easy to access. We're there. In Romans 1.26, God gave them up. God gave them up unto vile affections. They've had these evil thoughts continually. That's all they're thinking about. So God says, okay, my hands are off. Any guidance that I was giving you, any helps and hints that I was giving you, now you're on your own. God gave them up to their vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. What is that? That's lesbianism, folks. How do I know that? Well, look at the next verse. In Romans 1.27, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women burn in their lust one toward another. That's homosexuality. With men, knowing, uh, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meat. Our world is almost exactly as the world was in the time of Noah. And it's sad, isn't it? It was in 1992. Hugh Hefner was asked by the New York Times of what he was the proudest. And he said that I changed attitudes toward sex. That nice people can live together now. That I decontaminated the notion of premarital sex. He said, that gave me great satisfaction. I'm sure his mind has been changed. And it is sad, the state of our world today, when we're telling kindergartners that they can be a boy or a girl. Even if that were true, why would we tell kindergartners that? But it is not true because God made male and female. He made two genders, two sexes, complementary but different. Different. And if there's confusion... Let's just call that gender dysphoria and let's help that person through that confusion in their life. 
Don't start butchering and, and treating and, and messing them up for the rest of their lives once they get past the confusion. We live in a crazy world, folks, and I think we need to be people that will hold the line on these things, on human sexuality being one man, one woman for life in a covenantal marriage. Anything outside of that is wrong. We need to make sure that we stand up for the unborn, that we say, you know, we're going to love people. We're going to love people, the people that are homosexual. We're going to love them, but we also, and, and if you don't tell them what they're doing is damaging them, you're not loving them. Doing it out of love and out of grace and out of respect, but say, listen, we're all sinners. Jesus died for sinners. So don't, don't think that the battle is only protesting and uh, signing petitions, and, and there's certainly a place for some of these things, but the real thing that's going to change individuals' lives and, and hopefully improve the world would be the gospel. We know it will, it will change people's lives because Jesus came and defeated death. Yeah, Methuselah, all those guys were old. Uh, what, a, what a thing that must have been to live that long. But they also had to live in a world that was violent and evil and wicked And I'm sure there was blood shed all over the place in that day. The next time we'll talk about the wonderful words, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And there's grace. There's grace. Even in the midst of wickedness, even in the midst of violence, there's grace. And the grace of God is amazing. It's amazing. Have you received his grace? Do you even know about his grace? I'll just tell you the truth of the Bible. It's a real simple story. The Bible begins with we were created in God's image, male and female, complementary but different. And God created us for fellowship. We were created to bring him glory and to have a connection with our creator. But then something came and broke that connection, and that is sin. Adam and Eve rebelled against what God clearly told them, and they sinned, and then that has been passed on to you. Talk about mutations. That I don't know what type of DNA that is, but you have a sin nature, and I do too. But then Jesus came, and he did not have a sin nature. Why? Because he was not born of Joseph. Can you imagine Mary walking around and saying, I'm pregnant, but I've never had relations with a man? What the world must have thought of her? Because that's absurd. That's never happened. Well, it did. It did happen because she had a child of the Holy Ghost. And the one that was in her did not have this in nature. And he was born and he never sinned. He did incredible things. Incredible things. He healed so many people. He walked on water. He raised the dead. But then he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. To be crucified. You. I can't understand all the hurt and the pain that goes on in this world, all the confusion, but I know there's one thing that will reset your thinking about God, and that is this God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you and pay for your sin and pay for your hell. That'll get you through anything, just knowing that. 
But if you've received him, now the Bible says you're saved. Look at these, these verses here in John three sixteen. It says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what? Believeth in him. What does that mean? That means to trust in him. It's not about getting, doing better. It's not about religion. It's about trusting him. You cannot save yourself. You're therefore, you're putting your trust in the one that can save you. Jesus is willing and able. He's already paid for your sins. Just receive by faith him as your savior. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. Once you believed in him, you're passed from death unto life. You're saved today, tomorrow, and forever. You will not perish, which is hell, but have what? Everlasting life. There's going to be a day when you're going to get a body that will never degrade. No arthritis, no cancer, no heart disease. Uh, what are all the other problems that we have today? So many, right? But that'll be a day, won't it? And then it's by grace in Ephesians it says that we're saved through faith. Same exact thing that John three sixteen. that was Jesus uh, saying that. And then here uh, Paul is telling the Ephesians that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. That's the same as believe. It's putting your trust in Jesus and not of yourself. In other words, you can't do anything. All you have to do is receive a gift. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one will stand in heaven and say, I deserve to be here. I deserve to be here. Let this represent sin, and this is you and me. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came without sin, and he was made sin for us on the cross. He was buried, and the third day he rose again, and he's alive, and he wants to save you. If you'll just believe in him, you'll be saved. That's the gospel. That is what's going to change our world. We have a wicked world that we live in, but we have a gospel that will change that in people's lives. And you have a responsibility of sharing that with people. The people that are around you that I'll never meet, that our pastors will never meet, that our missionaries and evangelists will never meet, you have those opportunities. You say, I'm scared. I, I don't know if I, could, if I could talk to someone about faith. Well, all you have to do is tell them what Jesus did for you. That's all you have to do. Tell them your story. And you'll be amazed at the response. And if you know the gospel, Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose again, you can share the gospel. We have that responsibility. Now, will it really do anything? The Bible predicts a really, really horrible world at the time of the return of Christ. But we should still do everything we can to live the way of God through his spirit and to share the message of hope with a lost and dying world. Do you remember a time that you've received by faith? Jesus. If you haven't, let's do that right now. Let's, let's settle that right now and not wait one more moment.